the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, it's the Rob Black Podcast. You can hear Rob live every weekday morning from 10 to noon on 910 AM and Talk910.com. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's the Rob Black Show. I am the it. I am the Rob Black, so to speak. This is a Friday. And I'll be quite honest with you, it feels like a Friday. We've got the Academy Awards this weekend. We've got big economic data, uh, big stock market day. Now, again, I don't talk a lot about the stock market because I'm really trying to wean you off of looking at your stocks and your investments on a day-by-day basis. I think that's a horrible thing to do. I think that gets you pushed into greed and fear. So I don't really want you to do that. But... It's a good day on Wall Street, and sometimes on those good days on Wall Street, you go, what's going on? What's going on? What am I missing, or what do I need to see to make it, like, all pull together? And what I can tell you today is it's it's about jobless numbers. Now, again, for 90% of us, we don't care because we have a job. But for those of you who don't have a job, this is a big day. This is one of those days where we're now starting to kind of bump up against resistance, so to speak, where we're starting to get to the point where employment, probably not going to get much worse. Unless economic activity doesn't stick with us, then we would do a double dip in um, in our recession, and we would probably see more jobs lost. But for now, it's again we're we're kind of drawing a line. I'm not saying that this is the end line, but 9.7 percent unemployment rate held steady at 9.7 percent. Average hourly earnings increased one tenth of a percent. The average work week dipped one tenth of an hour, so it dipped from 33.9 hours to 33. Eight hours. Now, what's that mean? One of my jobs on the show is to give you what it means. That means the average American's working 33.8 hours. If you figure out what an, uh, you know, the average American makes, say 15 bucks, you can figure out the average American family is making on a monthly basis. Like, duh, right? This is what it starts to pull through. The employed hours, it's big. It's important because it tells us, like, at what point do companies have to start bringing in more workers is it 34 hours? Is it 35? It's about 34 and a half hours. So we're starting to get close or we're in the neighborhood of employers saying help wanted. And that'll sol- solve a lot of issues in America. It'll solve a lot of the health care debate. It'll solve a lot of the war in Iraq debate. And it'll solve a lot of who you're going to vote for in the November elections debate. So it's, it's now there's numbers inside of numbers. Now, unemployment comes in at 9.7%. You're like, that's okay. I'm, we, you know, we saw 10... And a half percent, and we know California's at 12 percent. There was a number inside of this number, and it jumps out to me. Forty percent of all unemployed workers have been unemployed or out of work for 27 weeks or longer. Now, 27 weeks to you is just a number, right? So let's, let's do the math. What is 27 weeks? Four weeks in a month, seven months. The average person's out of work. Forty percent of people are out of work for seven months. That is a freakish number. 
That is a freakish number. Now, there's some solace to be taken inside these economic data that the number of temporary workers increased. Temporary workers is considered, considered a leading indicator, and it means we'll probably be hiring more people down the road. That increased 48,000, so that's good, and it's jumped 284,000 since September 2009. So we're going to add some jobs, but it ain't going to be a roaring recovery. We got no data on that. The real unemployment rate, this includes discouraged workers who are longer than 27 weeks unemployed. This includes people who have just fallen off the ranks and are so discouraged they're living with mom and dad. This includes people that are waiting for their house to be foreclosed on and they're they're basically sitting in their underwear watching Dr. Phil all day. So that number in America sits at 16.8% in February. That's up from 16.5% in January. So essentially, it means that one out of every six workers over the age of 16 is either unemployed or underemployed. Again, an example of underemployed is Heidi produces my show. She probably gets paid by Clear Channel for about 20 hours a week. She probably wants to work 33 hours a week. So she wants a little extra do re me. She wants a little bit of, of extra money so that she can go on you know, a savings kick. She wants a little extra money so she can go on a spending kick. You get the idea. So employment numbers are big out there. Now, this is strong evidence for the short term that unemployment's not getting worse, that payrolls are getting better. Does not mean that, you know, this is, we're good to go. There's incredibly long lines at theme parks. Good story out of the LA Times today. Long lines at theme parks, not to get on on the rides. It's to get a job. Theme parks now are being flooded by people with applications from job seekers as unemployed mortgage agents. Sales clerks and construction workers who can't find work elsewhere seek temporary positions that often pay little more than minimum wage. So this is a story as well, right? We're talking about employment and your job. A question that I have for you, would you take a job working at a theme park when last year you were a mortgage lender making 100000 When last year you were a real estate agent making 100000 When last year you were a scientist making 100000 When last year you were an attorney, a junior attorney making 100000 would you work at a theme park? A job fair at Six Flags Magic Mountain in Valencia last weekend drew 1,600 people. Universal Studios saw over 1,100 job applications on just one day. Disneyland in Anaheim, Knott's Berry Farm in Buena Park, they've received so many job applications that ultimately they have to put off plans to hold job fairs this year. So in the past, summer jobs at theme parks were often you know, the path for teenagers path for teenagers to lose their virginity, the path for teenagers to like fall in love for the first time. College students who want to come back and work during the summer and get a little bit of pizza money. So, you know, doing things like playing goofy. I'll tell you what, if I were unemployed and I had a family, I'd play goofy. I'd dress up as Snow White. There's no doubt about it. I have no shame. Even if it's for above minimum wage, I would dress up as any costume character on the planet. The one job I wouldn't do is that guy who d- dances on the corners with the arrows, like, hey, subways are over this way, and he dances, like, nonstop. That job I couldn't do. Or, hey, there's townhouses for sales over here. That's a job that, to me, is just too humiliating. I'd probably have to put a bullet in my head before I did that. So unemployment in California is at 12.4%, and theme parks are seeing people who were super qualified last year, super paid last year. Now they're willing to basically work for nothing or close to nothing. But, hey, again, it puts food on the table. Now, other stories of note, it's the weekend of the Academy Awards. 
it's a big weekend where we all sit down on Sunday and look at pretty dresses and snazzy tuxedos. I go, I want to wear that. What is she thinking? Look at the breasts on just jumping out of that dress. Like, that's what we're going to be doing on Sunday. That's an American pastime. Is it going to be the Hurt Locker or is it going to be Avatar? Now, the Hurt Locker, if it were to win the best movie of the year, it would be the lowest grossing best picture winner in history. So I don't think it happens. It's just not commercial enough. And then in the last couple of weeks, there's been an ad campaign saying that, you know, some of the characters in it took incredibly, incredible fictional licenses that, you know, that probably wouldn't have happened that way. And it probably was created for just dramatic effect. Even though when you saw the movie, you felt like it was almost a documentary. You almost thought like this is standard procedure. So the Hurt Locker coming out. Will they win? Will they not? Will Avatar get it? Avatar clearly doesn't need the uh, momentum. (laughs) It would get a bump, though. You know, there is that bump tied towards winning an Academy Award where more people who wouldn't have typically seen your movie come on out. Now, that tends to help smaller studios, and there are investments in smaller studios. So, the year that Crash won, the stock of the company that produced them went on a roar because it went from, like, a a small effect to a pretty, you know, standard $100 million film. Anyway, speaking of $100 million films... Those Alice in Wonderland posters, they freak me out. Every time I'm driving up 101 and I see Johnny Depp in those creepy teeth of his and the big old hat, a role he was meant to play, right? Right? I guess, man, we got some we got some actors that they weren't predestined to be great actors, like Leonardo DiCaprio on 21 Jump Street. Johnny Depp on 21 Jump Street. Like, how did that TV show produce so much? So much a plethora of wealth of of American actors. I would say right at those two, there's a couple more that I could throw out there. Philip Seymour Hoffman, he's always a top-notch actor, but he always seems to play kind of the same looking dude, but he does it good. He does it well. Anyway, 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. Coming up, I'm going to talk about movies that had some sort of money tie towards them, but I'm opening up calls to you. If you want to talk about in this tough time of employment, what are you willing to do? Would you go work at a teenage theme park? Would you dress up as Goofy? Would you dress up as Snow White just to put a little bit extra money in the family kitty so that you can feed the family? I don't know. I don't know if I have the right answer for that. Um, But if you want to call in, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. I promise to be 15% nicer to you this week than last week. That is a new promise. And um, we're also going to be doing an event coming up. I'll tell you a little bit about that. It's going to be at O'Neill's Irish Pub. It's the... Rob Year, one-year anniversary, super secret, super spectacular, 910 KDW listener event. I'll tell you about that coming up. 800-345-5639. Make those phones ring. 800-345-5639. It's the Rob Black Show, 910 AM. More stimulating talk. about me you know that i like saving a little bit of money you know that i want to get your butt to retirement with a lot of money so that you could live your last 20 30 years with dignity so that you could actually pay for your own food and you don't have to eat cat food you don't have to be a shut-in like my mom my mom doesn't go out my mom stays in and watch tv all day she doesn't have to she's got the money not to but that's what she prefers so every now and then i say something kind of funny for instance scrooge is my favorite movie where at the end of the movie Scrooge, you know, 
I, I go, boo. But for the first, like, 88 minutes, the guy has no heart. He saves money. He fires people. He's efficient with his money. He's got enough money to live live and, and, and happily till the day he dies. Not happily. He's a Scrooge, right? But then he gets a heart at the end, and he starts giving away everything. I'm like, boo, boo. But, but in the beginning, I loved him. He's my favorite movie character. So I, th- I put together a list of 10 movies of movies that have a financial lesson to them other than Scrooge. So not the easiest thing to put together, but, you know. Maybe get some time. Start doing what I do. See everything. Everything in the world is somehow tied towards money. For instance, Gran Trino. It came out in 2008. And Clint Eastwood, I mean, he's just one of those jewels of America. The the older he gets and the more wrinkled he gets, he kind of gets more attractive. Like, he has shown that aging can be a good thing. No, I would say very little chance of uh, plastic surgery on Clint Eastwood. Now, he plays a Korean War vet. And I, our vets don't always get well taken care of in America. His name's Walt Kowalski. He's a retired auto worker. His wife is dead. He's mourning. It's going to be you. A lot of our spouses are going to die early on us, and um, we're going to have to go through life. So he, he starts interacting with a neighborhood kid, an immigrant. Again, a story of people who come to America to seek a better life. He's got a cool 1972 Grand Trino. The movie's got nonstop racial slurs. N-word, you know, targets aimed at Koreans. Like, I'm trying to dance around this without getting censored. But in the end, you know, Walt's family comes to him, and they're like, we're going to put you in an old folks' home. Sorry, Dad. They visit him once a, a month at best. He gets kind of forgotten. The neighborhood kid and him started a friendship. So ultimately, this is a very, very powerful movie. And in the end, it's not his family gets his house, the car, or his dog. It's not his family. He writes his family out of his will. It all goes to his the guy who, who loved him and gave him a little bit of friendship. <laughs> Come here, girl. Stop! Let go! What you looking at, old man? Never knows how you come across somebody once in a while you, you shouldn't have messed with. That's me. Are you crazy, man? Get out of here, man. So two-thirds of Americans... Neglect to write a will. And that's sad. You need to write a will. You don't want the court to divvy up your assets, especially if your kids stop coming visiting you at the old folks' home and the local neighborhood crayon boy is, is hanging out with you. Give the assets to him. He, he needs them more than, say, your, your snotty rich kids who, who no longer visit you. So write a will. Great, great investment lesson there. Let's jump back way, 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 way back in the way back machine and go back to 1958. And this is a better side of estate planning. Instead of writing your kids out of a will, and remember, two-thirds of Americans don't have a will, there's a movie called Auntie Mame. And basically, it's, it's, it, the movie provides a huge reminder that in rough times, that life is a banquet and that most poor suckers are starving to death. As ultimately, the protagonist famously declares in this movie, the story revolves around an orphan who goes to live with his dead father's eccentric sister an aging 20 years flapper who drives the executors of dad's estate crazy with her joie de vie. It, it's kind of like an episode of Mad Men or pre-Mad Men, John Kennedy era, Beatles era, and, you know, ultimately what it's like to be an orphan to walk into money. Darling, I'm so glad to see Edna. I called you yesterday. Where are you? Hello, darling. I'll be with you in just a minute. Vladimir. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful trip down memory lane, right? 
I don't know. These are movies that are a little bit before my time in this case. But it really shows us that in life that weird curveballs come. And you may have an eccentric aunt. You may have problems in your family where people start going crazy, start giving away money. So you really got to plan and you got to be hardcore on this. Um, Our personal finances, you can go from a booming market, job market to a disastrous job market. You can have a great career to no career. You can go from expecting to inherit your mom's money to not getting any of it. So you got to be be prepared. You you have to learn how to adapt. Next up on our movies that teach us personal finance lessons, it's called Maxed Out. Hard times, easy credit, and the era of predatory lending. Now, we know what predatory lending is, right? That's when a mortgage lender will give a low-income individual a loan that they wouldn't typically get if they had to say they were low-income. This happened in the Bay Area, a lot in the East Bay, where it was called a liar loan. We did a lot of predatory predatory lending could be tied towards colleges. Credit cards know that college students don't have high incomes, and yet they give them you know five ten thousand dollars of credit. So this is a great movie. You will feel odd looking at your credit card after you see this movie. So it's called Maxed Out, Hard Times, Easy Credit, The Era of Predatory Lending. It's an independently made documentary. It, it explores America's love with credit and leveraged debt. It, it presages. It's before the 2008 meltdown. It came out in 2006, like being a preferred credit card customer. It, it basically, you're not preferred. You're just a chump. You know, in one scene, a Las Vegas real estate broker explains why she's building a 10,000 square foot home, even though she's not able to, to afford it if rates go up. It's going to make you feel different about your money. It's a priceless movie. In America's ideal of freedom, citizens find the dignity and security of economic independence instead of laboring on the edge of subsistence. The credit card companies keep flooding our mailboxes with four billion offers a year. Banks alone had made available three trillion dollars of credit on their cards. Consumer lending is obscenely profitable. The average American household has more than $9,000 in credit card debt and spends more than $1,300 a year in interest payments. Think about it. So the movie's called Maxed Out, and you really should watch it. It'll give you a great lesson on how to borrow. You want to do it sparingly. You don't want to live on credit. Credit's the devil. Do you know anyone who got into big financial trouble because they didn't borrow too much money? Do you know anyone who was conservative? They didn't get into trouble. So you want to be on the conservative side. So just trust me on this one. Credit's the devil. Maxed out is a good way to explore this and uh, and see what an industry it is. Uh, again, I'm not against the industry. I use the industry, but I'm very wise about how I do it. I'm talking about movies that have financial lessons. I'm going through a list. I think we all like lists. Uh, this won't go on forever. I promise you that. I got 10 of them. I may cut them down to eight. Uh, another movie in 2009 came out. It's called Confessions of a Shopaholic. And uh, it's basically about a chick who's ditzy. And she's got 12 credit cards. All maxed out to the hill. She thinks nothing of using plastic. $200 Mark Jacobs bag. She thinks it's human right to have a Mark Jacobs bad bag. I, agree. I admit Mark Jacobs bags are nice. I've got a Mark Jacobs uh, uh, travel bag. Nice. I, I love it. Uh, then there's a plot twist. She becomes a writer for successful savings. So she goes from spending money and not in love to suddenly successful saving. You know, it's only something stupid Hollywood could dream up, but it is what it is. So she erases $16,000 in credit card debt. She finds Mr. Right, 
Mr. Wright provides a financial bailout and sometimes veers towards personal financial psychobabble. It's crazy at times, but, you know, in the end, it teaches us lessons. Confessions of a Shopaholic, 2009. When I was seven, most of my friends stopped believing in magic. That's when I first started. They were beautiful. They were happy. They didn't even need any money. They had magic cards. Rebecca Bloomwood. Dress, Zach Posen. Belt, Todd Oldham Vintage. Bag, Gucci. So the lesson here... You know that thing when you see... It has to be that you want to use credit only for things that have value. It's kind of funny. I often talk about uh, a watch. I don't buy a $400 watch because a $400 watch has no value. It quickly depreciates to nothing. I will buy a $4,000 watch. I'll buy a Rolex. I won't buy anything under a Rolex because you could sell a Rolex 10 years after you buy it for what you paid for it. So you buy things that have value. You buy a home, you buy an education, you go to college, you buy maybe a car that can get you to and from work. I prefer to buy two year old used cars because it, it retains, it loses the value already up front after it's driven off the lot and you still get a good 60 to 160,000 miles out of it. That's not too shabby. I prefer that myself. Now, again, you can get into a lemon situation. I prefer that you pay cash for everything else. There's a, a girlfriend that I had many years ago in San Francisco that her shoe collection was to die for. She had the craziest Manola Blahnik collection, and she would she would go squeal like a girl, like, I got a $400 pair of shoes today for $300. Um, she was excitable. And I'm like, I don't want to say her name because she actually works in this building. I was like, ah, you don't understand, like, Men love necklaces. They could be cheap. Just a little stone that's blue that matches your blue shoes or blue that matches your blue socks. Uh, it makes us want to kiss your neck. It makes us attract it to your chest. Uh, we like earrings because, you know, we want to be near your ears and kiss them and, and, you know, boom, go that direction. We don't want shoes. And yet women kill for shoes. Women's shoes fetish craziness is all about fighting other women on how crazy their shoes can get. $400 pair of shoes is, is insane. If you don't have $10,000, $100,000 saved and you're buying $400 pair of shoes, you have a mental illness. You are sick and you need to go in the Darwinian wood chipper. Coming up, more movies that have financial ties towards them. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Black Show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. I wanted to put together a list of movies that have financial angles and lessons in them. It's kind of a top ten list. I've gone about through four. I probably won't get through all ten because I just don't have that kind of moxie to stay with the topic. But again, it, it teaches you really focus in on money. For instance, another one of the movies out there, and again, just to recap the list so far, Confessions of a Shopaholic, Maxed Out, uh, Auntie Mamie, uh, Auntie Mame and Grand Trino, and they all teach us something slightly different. But another one, Mr. Blanding Builds His Dreamhouse, 1948, it was remade into the money pit, starring the always funny Gaffigan, Tom Hanks, and Shelley Long. 
And it it really shows you just how the American dream of owning a home can go totally wrong and how it could turn into this massive, expensive ordeal of ripping out tile floors and installing drains and owning a home ain't cheap. I own a home where I got some trees that got some vines on them and eventually they, they, they were planted on a hillside. They're going to fall. I got a, I got a quote. Do you know how much just it is? Just to trim them down. Four thousand dollars. I can't climb these these babies, otherwise I'd do it myself, but it's $4,000 to trim them down, stop them from falling on my neighbor's head. Falls on my neighbor's head, he sues me. So the home really is a money pit. It's uh, very nice. But don't you think it's a little conventional? Mm. Yes, Mr. Sims, because if, uh, if we were going to build a house, we'd want it, uh, well, you know, just a little bit different. Oh, yes, yes. Of course, this is just a point of departure. You don't have to adhere to any. Owning a home comes with a great deal of responsibility. You have to have good credit. You got to have a down payment, but you also got to pay your bills and you got to trim your trees and you got got to figure out like, hey, pipes are going to burst at some point in time. It's expensive. You got to know the worst case scenarios. Next movie on the list: Smartest Guys in the Room, Enron, came out in two thousand five. Before Bernie Madoff, before Ken Lay, before or before Bernie Madoff, there was Ken Lay and Jeff Skilling. And these guys ran the Houston energy firm that was going to reinvent how energy was going to be done in the United States. And it was highly profitable. And they had this great amount of cash flow. And their earnings, it was, it was like, it didn't, whoa. The stock price soared. The executives cashed out options worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. They told employees of Enron that the best option for them in their 401k was Enron stock. It's a wrenching story. It makes you angry. Millions, not millions. Thousands of Americans lost all their retirement savings because they put all their bets on one company. The movie earned a 2005 Academy Award for Best Documentary. It's almost indecently entertaining as far as when you watch this movie because you know it hurt a lot of people. Enron. It had taken Enron 16 years to go from about 10 billion of assets to 65 billion of assets. It took them 24 days to go bankrupt. You know, it's funny. I owned some Enron. As an investor, I, I took it from about $20 a share to 80 and then it fell to 60 Now, I didn't sell it at 80 but I sold it at 60 I ain't riding stuff that far down. I ain't got that kind of moxie, especially when I got a winner winner chicken dinner on my hand. So war- lessons, have a plan, have a discipline. If you have an enterprise that looks too good to be true and it just keeps going 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, 200, 220, 240, 260, it's probably too good to be true. That's a good lesson. Diversify, diversify, diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's a silly thing to do. Now, I've been watching TV recently, and I saw Meg Ryan. No, no, not Meg Ryan. Melanie Griffith. And holy mackerel, what 20 years does to a woman, she was cute. She was beautiful. She was sexy in the movie Working Girl in 1988. It was an endearing 80s film. She played Tess McGill. Ultimately, she takes a job as a secretary, but... She wants, you know, it's an investment banking world. She wants to rise to power. She combines her business degree from night school with acumen as being a street smart girl. She pulls off a mega merger. It's total fiction. It's fantasy. It's crazy. There's a Prince Charming happy ending in it with Harrison Ford uh, proving to be the Wall Street love interest. It provides an entertaining reminder that if you have something to offer your company, they don't seem to be too interested. You think it's a marketable service that you may want to go elsewhere. So there's a lesson there that you are a super powerful earner if you make yourself a super powerful earner. Let's listen to a little working girl action. 
you, Cynthia. Hold all calls, Miss McGill? Yes, Cynthia, thank you. Can I get you anything, Mr. Trainer? Coffee, tea, me? <laughs> it looks you right. That'll be all, Cynthia. But how you look. I have a head for business and a bod for sin. Now Melanie Griffith's lips look like inflated balloons. She looks sick. She looks ill. But man, in 1988, she was smoking. Smoking. There's a a word from the 80s that should have died in the 80s. Your earning power, even if you're a secretary. It's rooted in your education, your job skills. Right now, go back to night school. Go back and get an MBA. This is a horrible time for a job. There's not a lot of jobs out there. Go get educated. When the jobs are out there, you'll have leverage. Now, your smarts, your education, it can't be wiped out in a market crash. No one can take your education away from you. Next big movie on my list is The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, 1948. It's a classic Western cautionary tale about how not to launch a venture. If you could take everything that Howard, Dobbs, and Kutan did in this movie, get rich quickly without a credible business plan. We are federalists, you know, the mountain police. If you're the police, where are your badges? Badges? We ain't got no badges. We don't need no badges. I don't have to show you any stinking badges. So, badges. We don't need no stinking badges. That came from the treasure of the Sierra Madre in 1948. So don't swing blindly. Don't come up with a get-rich-quick scheme. Don't do a pyramid scheme. Don't do, uh, you know, selling product from your house to your friends and recruiting friends. In life, as in baseball, you're going to strike out, and you don't want to strike out you know, blindly while you're pursuing a huge home run. you got to know your business partners. you got to know your business. you got to know where you are in all of this. And let's do one final movie, and let's skip to the best one. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life came in 1947, and it's a Frank Capra story. Frank Capra masterpiece. We've all seen it during Christmas time. It's cited by the American Film Institute as one of the 100 greatest films ever made. Although I would say uh, maybe 101 on my list. I I still like The Wizard of Oz. That movie captivates me every time that it's on. Um, But I I totally digress. Now, it comes up on virtually everybody's best list in movies. Now, you probably know the story by heart. George Bailey toasted as the richest man in town at the end. He's certainly not a likable fellow throughout the movie. His dreams are stifled by small town life. He turns bitter, he turns suicidal, he turns verbally abusive. He's mean to his wife, he's mean to his children, he's mean to his poor old Uncle Billy. Yet unlike old man Potter, who only sees money as an end to itself, George comes to see it as a means to creating happiness for others. So, now you might think Scrooge is a better film, but I think It's a Wonderful Life is pretty darn close. Um, And there's a lot of investment lessons inside of It's a Wonderful Life. It's wonderful news, for when all these wonderful people get into the swim, it's a wonderful life. For never before has any film contained such a full measure of the joy of living, the drama of living, and above all, the glorious romance that makes this such a wonderful life. Don't you ever get tired of just reading about things? So in life, you want to maintain a lifestyle, you want to maintain a budget, you want to protect yourself. But when you share your good fortune with others by donating your money, your time, your talent to charity, you help create a stronger economy, you help create a healthier and safer world. So at times, once you've created your nest egg, once you've created your safety blanket, 
Go out there and do something for others. Donations is a good thing to do. Anyway, that's my list of movies that have financial lessons inside of them. I'm not a mean old man without a heart. I could have done it. Uh, uh, I could have done The Grinch that stole Christmas. I, I didn't because that's evil. And I'm not going to do that one because, again, I cheered for The Grinch for most of that film until he had a big heart at the end. I'm Rob Black. You're listening to The Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m., more stimulating talk. The weekend of the Academy Awards, of the Oscars. It's a weekend where we sit around and watch television. It's a weekend where we ponder about the best picture and Will Inglorious Bastards get it, one of the greatest films last year. You know what I liked about Inglorious Bastards? It just started in left field. It made up history. I dug it. I dug it. District 9, another great film from last year that I totally enjoyed. We gave away tickets on this show towards uh, District 9. Avatar, big movie. Who's going to win? Interesting that what the Academy Awards doing this year is they're they're basically opening up the categories. Not just five best films. There's ten best films, and the reason they're doing that it's all about the do re mi. It's all about the money. Pretty interesting, right? If they can get you excited by watching a little teeny tiny clip of a serious man, which is a Coen Brothers movies, Coen Brothers American Treasures, American Treasures. They hit, they miss. They're American treasures. If they can get you interested in that movie, boom, they got a home run. Hollywood will keep the money rolling. It's all about keeping the money rolling, but things do change. If you have any questions, any insights, anything that you want to add, what movies you're going to be watching for to be picking up some of the top brass this weekend, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. If there's any movies, I just did a list of movies that had financial advice embedded in them. Pick up the phone, 800-345-5639. Or you can do the old-fashioned, and I love this. Send me an email. Since when did email become old-fashioned? Rob at robblack.com. Rob at robblack.com. Give you a good chance to hear yourself talk on the radio and throw out some insight. i got an event coming up, and I'm proud of this. It's going to be a one-year anniversary 910 KNEW listener event. And what I really like about this is I get to meet you. I get to put faces, some of the names of the callers. I get to go out in the community, and I get to kind of hobnob. So that's coming up March 25th from 530 to 730 at O'Neill's Irish Pub, O'Neill's Irish Pub in San Mateo. Um, it's going to fill up, so you're going to want to be a part of this. It's going to be exciting. Uh, we have items that we're going to raffle off. We've got events that we're going to be you know, putting together. But again, most important, it's a good chance for you to meet me and Heidi. Uh, we'll be fired at some point in time. We'll be downsized. We'll be right-sized. We'll be replaced by a monkey playing cymbals. So we enjoy and we we take advantage of these events when you can. Now, Hollywood, I just talked about them promoting themselves. I mean, the Academy Awards is all about promotion. It's really not about the best dress. It's about promotion. Once upon a time, the biggest stars were rewarded with deals that paid them a percentage of the so-called first-dollar gross receipts. They began sharing in profits for the first ticket sale. Now, not waiting until the studio turned to profit. Now there's a new deal in Hollywood. It's called the CB0. It stands for Cash Break Zero. And it refers to an arrangement under which the star or the filmmaker begins collecting a share of the profits after the studio has reached a break-even point. Sandra Bullock. She cut her usual fee for a movie from $10 million to $5 million to the blind side. 
but she got a piece of the action if it broke above a certain dollar amount. And um, she's going to make $20 million from it. So she could have taken her original deal, $10 million, but no, she saw something in the script that she dug, and she's like, this is going to make me more. So she signed it for $20 million. You know, Angelina Jolie, she still receives $20 million for appearing in a film like Salt. It's set for release in July, according to people who've looked at the deal. She still could command that deal. Sandra Bullock can't. Sandra Bullock ain't no young, hot, young thing anymore like she used to be. So it's interesting to see. Like Brad Pitt, he, uh, he gets the largest upfront fee. So people briefed on him, said his initial payment was about $10 million, but he also gets the $10 million plus a piece of the profits. So now Mr. Pitt, obviously an impressive man, but the Hurt Locker, now that's emerged as a front runner for the Oscar race. You know, um, it's won a series of, of society and critical awards based on the novel Push. Uh, that movie uh, has a, a huge opportunity. Those stars made very little. So some, those stars, those films made 65000 Again, Brad Pitt, $10 million. Sandra Bullock, $20 million. Sam Worthington, you know, he's going to get fees from Guild Minimums. Um, how much is he ultimately going to secure in a film that pulls in $2.5 billion in ticket sales around the world? Sam Worthington, one of the stars of Avatar, and yet he was paid very, very, very little. Very little. So Hollywood changes its business models. Life changes its business models on a regular basis. I want to talk a little politics, and then I'm going to get into some stock picks, and then we're going to go to Dan Rusinowski with hockey. We've got a lot of content left on the show, but I need your phone calls. 800-345-5639. It's 800 345 5639. I've certainly thrown out enough content today for you to comment on. If you lost your job, would you dress up as Goofy? Would you work for a theme park? What do you think is going to win Best Picture? What do you think about the changing economics of, of Hollywood? What do you think about a movie that had a financial message to it that you really got, that you really dug? For instance, I loved Ruthless People. Ruthless People, fantastically funny film. It didn't age terribly well, but uh, take someone hostage. <laughs> Go for a ransom if you're smart. Don't go for a ransom if you're you're not so smart. And again, I'm not advising people to do it. But anyway, let's talk a little politics. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. President Barack Obama has a big problem on his hands. He's got Congress controlled by the Democrats. And the big problem that he has on his hands is the Democrats don't really like him. Didn't see that one coming, did we? When he was elected a year ago. The energy strategy is coming under attack on at least three fronts from Democrats, highlighting the conflict that has hobbled one of the administration's top domestic priorities, health care and energy. Big utility operators and some state officials blasted the administration's formal announcement that it would drop plans for federal nuclear waste vault beneath Yucca Mountain and instead consider what it believes are better options, not Capitol Hill. A group of Democratic lawmakers, they introduced legislation to block the administration from using the Clean Air Act to regulate carbon dioxide emissions. Meanwhile, Democratic lawmakers have urged the administration not to use federal stimulus dollars to help finance a wind energy product that involves a Chinese maker of wind turbines. So this all is adding up to just more more um, fight back against what Mr. Obama's trying to do. He's trying to get an energy policy that would promote jobs slash greenhouse gas emissions and put the U.S. in the forefront of new energy technology. More than a year into his presidency, Mr. Obama's policies are encountering resistance from big industries, from uh, members of his own party. He is having a damn time getting his agenda, you know, even voted on. 
Now, that's the energy is a big issue, but the health care plan, you're starting to hear the rank and file Democrats. They're wary of the health care legislation, despite his closing argument on overhauling the system. You know, well aware of the success that it you know can bring, but political perils it brings with it. So you're seeing um, first term representative Jerry Connolly is a Democrat from Virginia. He said, I think he succeeded in prying open a window of opportunity, but it's a narrow window. Representative Joe Courtney, a Democrat from Connecticut, he says it's fragile. And he also said it's getting close to the election. No one wants to vote on something that's going to cost a trillion dollars because your your competitor is going to run an ad saying, your, your Democratic congressman just spent $1 trillion of your children's money. Vote for me. I'll, I'll reverse this. We have to get control in Washington. We're spending like drunk sailors. So it's pretty interesting to see how much flack he's, he's encountering. 800-345-5639 to get your calls from the air, on the air. Let's go to George in Fremont. Hey, Rob, how are you? Good. Great. Hey, you know, I have a question. I've been in the union and management both in and out and out for the last 34 years. And uh, because of medical insurance in the future, I need to get back in the union, which I am now. But before, when I was in management, I could obviously contribute to the 401k. And I I just don't get it. I mean, I'm told, obviously, they just say no when it says, well, you have a pension, but you can't contribute to the 401k. I've never got an explanation. And I don't know whether it's, you know, know, our government wants our taxes up front at a higher rate than when they do want to retire. Or, or you know, I'm just trying to save, and you can't do both. And I'm just wondering why we can't. I don't have an answer for you. So, well, I guess is there a law that says you can't? I guess it must be, right? Well, keep in mind that pensions, and thanks for the call. Um, keep in mind that pensions have a federal guarantee tied towards them, uh, where if that pension fails, it's going to go to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Trust of the United States. So, let's just use a hypothetical. Um, I'm going to call them the, the Steel Union Workers of California. They've got a pension that they've been contributing to, and it's going to promise payout of $60,000 a year or $100,000 a year. Let's use easy numbers that people could digest. Now, this still workers pension union of California uh, goes bankrupt. They have an investment advisor who's got no scruples, and he loses all the money. Um, he invests in pig futures, and he loses, 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 loses pig bellies. You know, hog bellies are two bellies. Each hog has two bellies. Um, the government's going to bail you out. The government's going to give you 60 cents on the dollar. So there's that issue. Like, I don't know if you know this, but teachers, they've got a uh, a pension and a benefit guarantee. Basically, it covers about 55 to 60% of what they were earning when they retire. Not too bad, right? That's not set in stone. But it, they also have a 403B, which they are allowed to contribute to. I would look into your firm's plans and make sure that you don't have an ability to do both Um, or at least to fund outside retirement plans like a Roth IRA, uh, which would not be a bad idea because your pension is going to be your conservative money, whereas you would want to expose some of your growth money into a qualified retirement plan that defers taxes, that grows tax-free and will come out at a capital appreciation tax, which is lower than the taxable income tax right now. So I would look into that, but uh, teachers, they don't get Social Security. That's weird, right? Now, what's weird, listen to this, and you're going to go, man, that's screwy. Let's say 
you're 20 years old and you're 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 working for a dot com and you make you know money 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 and then the dot com goes out of business and you decide I'm going to go be a teacher. So now those first 10 years from age 20 to 30, you contributed to Social Security. Now when you go and be a teacher and you get that pension, you lose that Social Security that you contributed to. That just seems wrong on so many levels, doesn't it? So I understand not giving the Social Security to uh, a teacher who's worked 40 years and has this nice pension that's guaranteed by the United States government. I get it. I get it. Uh, but I don't get, and then they have to save outside in a 403B. Yeah, some of these pension laws are a little bit on the wacky side, but it's interesting that you said you're going to go back to your job so that you can get a health care uh, basically guarantee. You basically went from you know being the, the plumber to being the plumber's management. So, And the plumber's management didn't have the health care benefits, but they had the better 401k benefits. So you're going to go back to be the plumber so you can get the health care benefits when you do retire from the union. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. Any thoughts? You pick up the phone, you give me a call, 800-345-5639, rob at robblack.com, 910 AM, more stimulating talk. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.